Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. The recent news about Anchor Brewing pulling back its distribution to just California and then discontinuing our special ale, its Christmas offering, had me thinking about the brewery's place in history and its impact. Scott Ungerman, the former brewmaster of Anchor, is here to talk about all of that and more. But first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can find original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Beer Travelers, Brewer to Brewer, and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do is supported by you. Please go visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. A few bucks goes a long way to help keep the content fresh and to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising on this show, on allaboutbeer.com, or any of our podcasts, you can just email info at allaboutbeer.com. A few weeks ago, Dave Infante of the excellent Fingers newsletter broke the news that broke hearts. Anchor Brewing, the venerable San Francisco brewery and the makers of Steam Beer, and it's now owned by Sapporo, we're pulling back its distribution to focus solely on California, which was already its biggest market. And it also announced that it'd be discontinuing its annual Christmas tradition beer, Our Special Ale. Our Special Ale has always been a bizarre beer, wrote my colleague Andy Crouch on All About Beer. It was never particularly popular, he says, but it had tradition, pedigree, history, and therefore loomed large in American craft beer. It's a loss, and in a eulogy of sorts, Scott Ungerman, who was the brewmaster and the vice president of production of Anchor from 2014 until 2020, is here to talk about his relationship with the brewery and that particular beer. Anchor's always been part of his beer DNA. A tour of the brewery when he was in college inspired a homebrewing hobby, which led to a degree from the University of California, Davis, and then a long career with Anheuser-Busch, including a stretch at its Newark, New Jersey facility, before a chance conversation and a long simmering desire brought him to the top beer job at Anchor. Here's our conversation. So you spent a good amount of your career at a brewery that I am intimately familiar with solely by sight. And that's the AB facility in Newark across from the airport uh, over there on, uh, uh, on routes one and nine. And I, I, I know that you had a great amount of time in Jersey and then at other AB facilities before going to anchor. And I wonder what it was, what was the appeal for you to go from a large global brewery to, I mean, let's be honest, a, a, a small regional craft with a national distribution. But, you know, I mean, it, it's, they strike me as two very, very different businesses. And so I'm, I'm wondering when you decided to make that career switch you probably could have gone wherever you wanted, given your credentials. Um, what was it about Anchor that was that was appealing? Um, everything, really. Uh, it, <laughs> it's hard to answer that question without without giving you a, a bit of my life story. Okay. Um, and the Anchor specifically uh, is what inspired me to get into brewing in the first place. I toured the brewery 
it was the first proper brewery tour I ever had while I was, I was still in college. I went to college in Berkeley. Um, and we toured, uh, myself and a group of friends, toured the Anchor Brewery uh, when I was uh, a senior in college. And so it was, uh, it was something that uh, opened my eyes to, wow, this is, this is such a special and magical place. And I had always liked the beer. My dad drank the beer when I was growing up. Uh, and I, I learned when I was at Anchor on that tour um, back in the back in the eighties. Uh, I learned from the tour guide that home brewing was even a thing. I had never considered it, and and one of my friends and I looked at each other. And we're like, we can make our own beer, and uh, <laughs> I think we said something out loud. And and the guy was like, yeah, not only that, but you guys live in Berkeley, and there's a great home brewing shop there uh, called the Oak Barrel. And so we went, you know, just a few weeks after that, and bought our bought our first home brew kit. And started started home brewing as a hobby, as a as a fun thing to do, um, and to to make our own beer and make good beer cheaply. You know, it was it was the perfect uh, lining up of all things, and uh, it was for me. Like I said, it was the first thing I had ever toured. It was a beautiful brewery architecturally, and oh yeah, uh, just everything about it. Right, you walk in, the sights, the sounds, the smells. Uh, it's it's a magical place, and. Uh, so I, I toured that brewery and, um, I, I knew about it, uh, and, and when I decided to go to brewing school at UC Davis a couple of years later, my, my whole goal was to, to go to Davis, to learn how to make beer and get into, uh, you know, we didn't even call it craft brewing yet, uh, at the time it was the early nineties and, um, I wanted to go work in the in the microbrewing industry, uh, you know, and eventually start my own brewery was was my real lifelong goal and dream uh, at at that point. Not lifelong, but but yeah. from the moment that I started to go to school and study brewing, I decided, okay, I, I'll go work for another brewery first and and learn brewing, uh, but ultimately I want to start my own brewery with my dad. It's, it's, uh, you know, a passion project that uh, we both uh, were excited about, but he said, you know, go, go learn what you can first. And, and uh, you know, life got in the way of that dream. Uh, my wife worked for AT&T while I was going through grad school. She got a job offer in New Jersey and uh, I was just finishing up and it was, time to move. And so I moved out to New Jersey in 1995 and there were uh, not a lot of small breweries that were even in possibilities. 90, in, 95, in 95, there yeah. would have been two, maybe three. Yeah. And I there were some, at the, it, and they were very, very small, very small. And a couple of my, a couple of my buddies got jobs. People who, who studied in, uh, there was the uh, Tim Yarrington went to is it Long Branch. Um, yeah. Uh, and and opened a small brewery there, and another friend of mine got got a, a gig down by the shore in another place in Red Bank, maybe. Yeah, um, yeah. Basil and, Tees was there early on, and there's yeah, another, yeah. Yes, it was Basil Tees. That was the place. Um, and uh, I considered that as an option, but uh, you know, there was nobody offering me a job or, uh, or any money I did interview with some folks who wanted to start up a brewery and they wanted me to 
participate with them, uh, pure sweat equity, didn't want to pay me any money. Uh, and, uh, you know, my wife and I had a conversation and there were, there were two big breweries that, um, were in striking distance. When we first moved there, we moved to Bedminster right in the middle of the state. So there was Stroh's in Allentown and there was AB in Newark. And I interviewed at both of those places and, AB offered me a job and I, I decided, okay, I'm going to do this for a couple of years and, um, and then I'll go live my dream. Right. Um, <laughs> and a couple of, couple of years turned into a whole career, 18 years with AB at four different breweries and eventually brewmaster. And, you know, at, at AB, I felt like I had topped out at brewmaster, anything that was, a promotion at that point would lead back to St. Louis. We had already lived in St. Louis and we were lucky enough to get moved back to California, which is where we're both from. And uh, I, I started thinking about looking for a job um, in 2014. And I was at an MBA meeting and I ran into a friend of mine, Jason McKibben, who was working for Anchor at the time, and I knew him from AB, and he had the same degree as me from Davis, and and uh, he wasn't from California, but he he had he had found his way to that job um, in 2012, I think it was, and I uh, had a couple beers in me. I was talking to Jason, and 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 I asked him. I, I think I grabbed him by the sleeve. I'm like, dude, how did you get that job? And he told me, oh, I got I got contacted by a recruiter, and I said, you know. If I would have heard about that job, I would have I would have applied. I, I would have seriously considered it. And he said, and, and he just kind of looked at me funny. And and I said, just tell me this, man. If you ever decide you're going to leave this job, call me. Three months later, he called, and uh, for me, that was like it was the I, I wasn't even ready yet. I didn't even have a resume ready, uh, and. <laughs> And so I had to I had to jump right in and and you know pull my resume together and and contact uh, his boss at the time uh, Keith Greger uh, who had bought the brewery from Fritz um, and Keith and I had a, a brief chat on the phone and an interview the next week and uh, you know a week later I had a job offer it was just wow. bang 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 and for me it was it was full circle and it was exactly where I wanted to be and when I wanted to be there. And that, that started in 2014 and uh, it, it went from there. I, I imagine that there had an 18 year career with AB where you have access to anything and everything that a brewer could ever want. Um, and you know, you're 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 applying real brewing science, and you are um, uh, making beers that are you know, known throughout the world, and um, you know part of a, br- a proud brewing tradition. Um, I mean, I remember the first time that I visited Anchor. I was like, "Wow, this is this is really cool." And then it's also like, "Wow, this is really old," and this is <laughs> this is uh, you know from another from another era. Um, you know, with some modern touches, um, was there culture shock going from AB to Anchor? I mean, I, I you were obviously excited to do it, but um, were there things that you weren't prepared for? Yeah, certainly. Uh, and and culture shock, um, 
Not so much with the process, because there, there are a striking number of similarities. And Fritz uh, set up that brewery with, um, you know, it, it is primitive brewing technology. It was a 1950s brew house, um, all manual uh, throughout. Uh, and, you know, the open fermenters, all manual there, hand cleaning everything. Uh, but you get downstairs and there was some fairly modern technology um, for the time Fritz, Fritz put in flash pasteurization before right. many people were doing that. He had a centrifuge in, in the filtration room. You know, we, Anchor was using centrifuges uh, or separators, as AB calls them, um, before before AB was. Uh, and it, it, uh, the, the process of croisoning. Um, something that AB does to make Budweiser, something that Anchor does to make Anchor Steam, uh, an old school German technique that that really does work. Uh, and the the fundamentals uh, of the the brewing process were the same. I'd say the culture shock, the biggest culture shock, was on the safety culture and the quality culture. Um, safety culture in that there there was none, uh, and. Okay. And quality culture in that uh, strikingly little uh, true QA was being done when I got there and, and strikingly little sensory analysis. Uh, people were tasting beer in the cellar, you know, and saying, yeah, good to go, um, rather than a formal process. Nice. Of, yeah. of, uh, and, and that's the way it is at, at many small breweries and certainly yeah. the way it was, you know, from, from the time that uh, Fritz took over Anchor in 65 and, and all the way through until 2014, like it, certain things just didn't, didn't change. And it was really kind of a, a cowboy culture in safety. Um, and there, there were, there were a lot of people getting hurt and getting hurt in not, not major injuries, but still it just was much more of an occurrence. You know, I left AB at Fairfield where we were coming close to a year of zero injuries at a, at a brewery where hundreds of people were. Right. Um, and then I come into anchor and three people get hurt in the first three months. And it's, you know, we, we had it. The things I saw that people were doing, uh, taking unnecessary risks and, and, uh, you know, not following proper procedures, not because they were breaking rules, just because there were not. Yeah. The procedures weren't in place. Um, so the, the biggest culture shock in going from a, a large corporate brewery, if you will, at, at Anheuser-Busch and, and coming into a, a small privately owned brewery uh, was definitely uh, – the, the lack of a safety culture and uh, quality was very important, but there, there were just no rules and no precedents. Yeah. So you had to, to kind of get to work to bring that expertise that you had into the brew house at anchor. Yeah, to, and, to, and yeah. Develop a culture where people cared about it and, and saw it as something that was important and integral to what they were doing. Yeah. What about the beers? Was there anything that that surprised you when you got into the brew house? And you know, uh, you've yeah, obviously been tasting them your whole life, but um, now that you're intimately involved in the making of them, the production of them, 
Yeah. So uh, coming in, you know, I had a really deep and long connection with, with steam beer, with Anchor Steam Beer. I've been drinking it since I was in college um, and probably before that. Uh, I, I knew of the Christmas ale uh, and I love the Porter and Liberty Ale. And there were a couple of new things that Anchor had come out with. Uh, you know, Fritz sold the brewery in 2010 right. um, to, to Keith and Tony, um, who, who, as I said, eventually hired Jason, came in and they were, uh, you know, there was a big struggle, internal struggle with what do we do about this whole IPA craze that essentially, you know, when you go through the history, Fritz kind of started the whole thing with, with Liberty Ale, but, and that was one of the more problematic things is that Liberty Ale being essentially the original IPA was something that uh, one group of people in the brewery said, you know, we already make an IPA, we make Liberty Ale, but you taste Liberty Ale in 2014 or, or today, and and it's, this is not an IPA. Um, right. It may have, it, it may have brought back uh, the style and, and blazed the trail for many other beers, but um, what was adventurous and way out there in, in 1975, um, rather pedestrian uh, by, by current standards, right? Sure. And um, a single hop, uh, you know, that uh, is a beautiful hop, Cascade, but uh, no, you know, none of the, none of the newer hops and, and, Popped at roughly a half a pound per barrel. It, it just didn't pop the way uh, uh, a newer uh, IPA did, the way everybody else was making IPA um, at the time. And so Anchor IPA was born um, in 2013, just before I got there. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I remember I, it. Yeah. I can't lay claim to that beer, um, but I can, I can tell you that one of the things I realized really quickly was that we didn't have the right technology to do dry hopping. And Fritz had pretty much invented his own technology with these giant tea bags. And, and we were very beholden to all whole cone hops. Um, and that doesn't make your, your modern IPA. So it, it wasn't working. Um, it had far too much specialty malt and it. it was far too malty. Um, and the hop profile was muted um, and, and not all that pleasant either. Uh, if, I, so, if I go back into the all about beer archives, I'm pretty sure we savaged it when it came out. Oh yeah. They got uh, murdered. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we, we so, made a whole bunch and then it didn't go anywhere. And then as it aged, it <laughs> yeah. got worse. Right. And that's, right. Yeah. that's what happened to us so many times on, on releases of new beers. And, and remember the guys who, who bought the brewery, uh, Tony and Keith, not beer guys, spirits guys. Um, and the people they hired, not beer people other than Jason. Um, but the marketing folks came from the spirit industry sales, um, came from, uh, spirits. Uh, and so they didn't know beer, uh, and they had some assumptions that turned out to not be the greatest assumptions. Um, that just, if we, if we make an IPA, if we put in more hops, that'll do it. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and so we had to, we had to kind of strip all that back and, and figure out a better way to dry hop. And we had to buy pellets and, and uh, there was a lot to be done there. Um, other surprises to me, uh, Anchor California Lager, which was very successful um, and it still exists. Uh, it was, uh, it was for the brewery, uh, a real shot in the arm. And it came out in 2012, I believe. 
Um, what was surprising to me was that it was essentially brewed exactly the same as steam beer with uh, no caramel malt and a different hop. And that was basically the recipe. Uh, so yeah. it was Anchor Steam Light. Uh, and it was a really nice beer. It still is. And uh, it, it, but what happened was the, where there was a, a, a dearth of craft lagers, uh, they just kept popping up. And people yeah. started making Pilsners and, and Ellis and, and various other lager style, styles. And, and uh, it kind of got lost in a sea of lager. Um, so those are probably my, my two biggest surprises and biggest challenges. Yeah. I, it's, also, it's also tough for older established breweries um, to appeal to a new generation. I, I think, and we've seen this with um, countless breweries that started even in the eighties um, that found success early on with one or two brands. And then uh, they got eclipsed as people got into hops more or things started to change or owners were uh, resistant to change or, you know, and then all of a sudden it's, well, yeah, that's what my granddad drank. And, um, you know, I'm going to this hip new place down the street and people kind of forget about, you know, some of these brands and anchor, I, I feel like was always one of those where the history was there. The story was there. Steam was reliable. Um, when, when, when you could get it and, you know, pe people enjoyed it, but it, it was eclipsed at some point, especially in California where, you know, you had all of these and even, even in the Bay area where you would have all of these brand new breweries that popped up that were standing on anchor shoulders. Um, but the college kids that came after you were going to those breweries in the early two thousands and mid two thousands and not necessarily going down to anchor. Um, for those tours like you did. And so I wonder if there is a, you guys knew what you were doing with the core beers and the established beers. And if there's sort of a hunkering down on those and even a look at, well, how can we improve upon these from the past um, without trying to reinvent the wheel with IPA or some of the others that, 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 that came out, was there a fresh look that came <laughs> At the, yeah. at the established ones? Yeah, you're, you're, you're spot on with that analysis. Um, that it was... Uh, <clears throat> we had... We were the, you know, the only beer in town for, for so many years. And um, then other breweries popped up and suddenly there were 20. Um, and in San Francisco alone. And, you know, hundreds in the Bay Area, thousands in California. And uh, there were so many other choices and so many other things going on uh, that, yeah, Steam was there and it was reliable. Um, and uh, we knew we couldn't change Steam, uh, but we knew we could innovate and improvise elsewhere. And we didn't have discipline in our innovation approach, unfortunately. Um, some of the things we did worked um, and they'd worked for a short time, but then, you know, there's what's the new flavor of the week. And yeah, um, that's, I, I, I see that today in, in uh, 
in every every space I go to 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 look at uh, shelf space, it's it's unbelievable how many how many new things keep coming out and uh, the mainstays getting squished to a smaller and smaller spot. Yeah. Um. There's obviously been news recently of uh, the brewery pulling back its footprint and um, seemingly discontinuing Christmas ale, our special ale. Um, what does, where does Anchor stand in beer history today in your mind? I mean, obviously, you know, it, 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 it has cemented itself as uh, Randy Mosher's called it the first craft brewery. Um, I think it was, it was a seminal brewery for so many people. Um, and, and there's no erasing that history, but, um, where do you see anchor today in, in the beer world or when you left a couple of years ago, um, how did you feel Yeah, it was when you walked out the door? Regional, uh, you know, historically important. Uh, obviously, and Fritz Maytag, that part of the story is is the the historical importance of what Fritz did, what Fritz cre- created in San Francisco, and and how far it spread. You know, I was able, I was lucky enough to be able to to travel quite a bit um, with the brewery and and preach the gospel of of Fritz Maytag and and Anchor Brewing and. The story, the story never goes away, right? He, what he did was uh, revolutionary in the beer world. And when everybody else was zigging, he was zagging, you know, the golden lagers taking over the world. Fritz decides I'm going to make a darker beer and I'm going to add more hops. Um, right. And, and I'm going to, you know, bring it in this iconic little, uh, bottle and and I'm not going to change certain things about it. I, I'm going to stay pure and true to to what I do. Um, and then you know it expanded to nationwide and international. And um, unfortunately, it just got a little too big for what it is. Um, and and the reason I say that is, you know, you know. Beer doesn't age well, right? And right. it doesn't travel well. And the further afield you go, the harder it is to keep your beer fresh. Uh, and and it it suffered. When I traveled and I, I drank steam in, in various places, I drank steam in Florida and, and New York and London and uh, Paris. And, and boy, it, it was ragged sometimes. Um, yeah. And... And some of the other beers, even more so. Porter traveled the best, um, but Porter's its own little thing, and it's it's never gonna it's never gonna be huge. And no. and so when you when you look at how how big we got, um, and at the top we were 150,000, 156,000, I think was our biggest year. Wow! Uh, first year. Wow! Outside. I didn't I didn't realize it was that big. I always thought you guys were somewhere in the 30s for some reason. No, no, it was my goodness. Okay, one hundred fifty-six thousand in in two thousand fourteen, my first year there, and then we dropped down to like one thirty something in, in fifteen, and and then it's it's settled out well, well below, well below a hundred, and yeah, uh, I don't know where they're at today, but 
but you're probably closer to correct with 30 something. I, I, I bet it's more than 50, but anyway, it's, it's, it's a small regional brewery and uh, it, it kind of needs to live in that space. It's in today's beer marketplace, the imagining that you can find steam in, in every town in America just doesn't make sense anymore. Right. What was the importance of Christmas ale of our special ale? For me personally, uh, such an important beer. Uh, I was introduced to it early on. Uh, I had a bottle collection as a kid. Um, I started probably when I was in junior high. Uh, my dad loved to go to uh, the bottle shop and buy interesting beers and bring them home. And he'd always give me a little sip and, and I'd keep the, the interesting ones. Um, and every year that Christmas ale came out, he would always go buy a six pack and, and um, I, I tasted it and, and found it interesting. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, and um always, you know, somewhat different. Um, love the fact that it had a different tree on it each year. And so yeah. I, I collected those bottles and I had uh, every year from, I had 77, but not 78. And then 79 was the first one that I got from my dad and the rest all the way through. Um, and so I had every one of those bottles. Unfortunately, most of them I were drank and, and weren't kept full. We didn't really do ver verticals back then. Um, yeah, I remember in that tour that I took in in the eighties, the eighty six Christmas ale they still had from the previous year, and we bought a case of it. Um, me, my buddies and I, and took it back to Berkeley and drank most of it. I still, I, I kept <laughs> one of those full bottles along with uh, and eh, along with the rest of them. And uh, when I uh, went off to college uh my my stepmother uh decided to redecorate my room and she told me she luckily she called me and asked me uh she said I, you know i want to get rid of all these bottles in your room and recycle them are there any you'd like to keep and i thought about it for a moment i said just the christmas sales keep those and she did that's well that's luckily. wonderful that she asked yeah yeah it's wonderful that she asked <laughs> and uh uh, considering the overall relationship. Uh, anyway, uh, it, it, I, I kept those bottles and I, I actually um, moved them with me to Davis and, and to New Jersey and back again to Davis. And, and then when I came to the brewery, you know, my office wasn't all that decorated. I, I said, you know, what? I'm going to bring my Christmas hands in here. And I lined them up on the, on the windowsill in the office that I was in when I first moved there. And, uh, and they're still there today. Um, those bottles that I collected as a kid. So um, that I, it, that's how closely connected I am to Christmas yeah. ale, to the story of Christmas ale, right? And the new tree each year, and the, the little words on the on the, uh, um, the neck label that Dave Burkhart works so cleverly to to cast on there. You know, it, it was just Christmas ale is a, a very special part of the anchor history. And when I got there in 2014, I, I came in uh, March 
And it was just our, our second uh, new beer meeting in April of that year where somebody brought up the topic of Christmas sale and said, hey, we got to start talking about Christmas sale because we got to get going on, on what ingredients we're going to put in and we need to brew a test batch. And, and I was like, wow, it's only April. Um, this is amazing. <laughs> and so that first year I, I came in and I really just watched and learned. Um, and Mark Carpenter was still there at the time yeah. and driving that process. Um, and Mark, I have to shout out to Mark Carpenter. What a great mentor he was to me when I first came to Anchor. That um, he he stuck around for for the first year, and he was he was just a part time brewmaster emeritus kind of guy. But yeah. but uh, he taught me taught me a lot. Um, and uh, and one of the things he taught me was a, was a Christmas sale. Uh, what a what a special experience it is, and and how important it is to get it right. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is, uh, for me, an important part of, of what Anchor did, um, in, in bringing that holiday ale to the forefront and creating traditions for people, putting it in magnums, how much of a pain in the ass that was, um, still worth it once you, once you had that finished product of, you know, being able to bring a magnum of Christmas ale to a party or to a dinner, uh, was for me a very special uh, feeling. Um, so what was the, what was the approach to building out that beer every year? You know, I, you got, you got to learn from Mark who had obviously a, a very, very long history with that beer. Um, so he instilled a lot of wisdom, but um, where would those conversations start? Where would the, you know, we always started with getting well, what around did we in do? April and yeah. What did we do last year? Um, let's let's break out that recipe and look at it. And um, that was that was the the baseline, right? The the boilerplate. Um, and and very few things were changed year to year. It wasn't that we drastically reinvented Christmas sale every year. Take out this malt, add in that one. Take out this hop, add in that one. What about this spice? So oh, we've never tried that before. Uh, how can we get that? Can we get these things? Can we get, you know, something a little more exotic? Um, and and we had a palette of things uh, that we, we would start with and, and improvise from there. Um, back in those days, we did not have a pilot brewery yet. Uh, so Anchor had one brew house that was a hundred barrel batch size. And uh, it was my first year there that we got a, we got a little Sabco uh, pilot brewery that we, that we put under the brew house and, and uh, were able to, for the first time in 2015, brew some pilot test batches on, on a small level. But prior to that, it was just go make a hundred barrels um, and let's taste it. And then we can make some other, you know, we'll, we'll make two more brews next time and we'll, and we'll make some tweaks based on that first brew and then we'll blend those together. And then, you know, by the third batch, we'll have something and, and we'll blend all that together and, and then make it work from there. That sounds like uh, just such like early micro brewing of. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but with a hundred barrel batch size. So you, you really yeah. can't, <laughs> yeah. you can't screw it up. Yeah. Um, and, and we, you know, we eventually 
Ooh, we got the Sabco Brew Magic, um, which uh, not familiar with that. I mean, it's basically a homebrew setup, a really nice homebrew setup made out of yeah. eggs, um, ten gallon batch size. Uh, and then we we put in a pilot brewery in uh, across the street where when we built public taps out in 2017. I remember so that. Yeah. Prior prior to that, we had we had nothing, but uh, from 17 on, we could really do a, a proper pilot scale and some more recipe development. And you really see some differences starting 16, a little bit, but certainly 17 and beyond um, a lot more um, radical changes. Um, And I mean, one of the first, like I said, 14, I just watched 15. I started to take a little more, uh, control over it, but we still, we, uh, we, we started with the 14 recipe and, and made some changes and it was 16 when, uh, you know, I had the idea of, you know, people age this beer uh, and, and it needs to, it needs to age well. And I had tasted, I had done a lot of articles and, and tasted a, a lot of old, unfortunate Christmas sales that really didn't, didn't survive the test of time, um, but some did. Uh, but one of the things that I, I knew inherently was that this beer should not be five and a half percent alcohol. Yeah, it had been for its whole life um, from the seventies up through 2015 and, and 16, we took it up to six and a half percent ABV. Uh, and that changed it more dramatically than any other change before. Um, and then you know, Can I ask you about this. that really quick, though, because yeah. I, I, that was always the, the big conundrum to me. And I remember when that shift happened because I, I was always sort of amazed when I would go to somebody's house around the holidays and it's like, oh, yeah, I had this anchor Christmas from, you know, six years ago. And we'd open it up and it's like, God, why? Why didn't you drink this fresh like this? This did not age well. And it was never really designed to age well, was it? No, no, it's, it was the customer who decided to yeah. age it. Certainly not the brewery. Yeah. Uh, and, and but you realized that this was happening and wanted to address that. Yes. Specifically. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it does. I, I think it ages better at six and a half, seven percent. Um, I still think aging beer is, is somewhat of a, um, a silly thing to do, but um, <laughs> people, people do it anyway. Uh, and and you might as well try to try to make it so that it's at least somewhat pleasant. I, I feel like a year or two, it's it's still in the ballpark of of interesting. Um, in the third year and beyond, it, it really starts to go downhill, and and you start to get you know some undesirable aroma compounds that um, that can overwhelm the whole thing. Yeah, you know, it, it tastes like shoe polish and burnt soup it's it's just it's not fun <laughs> just what everybody wants for christmas every year is, uh, <laughs> yeah. is, those, is those two things um is i know seasonals and i never really saw it as a seasonal um you know it was like a, it was an occasion beer um uh, our special ale um um but has there been a shift away 
from seasonals with so many breweries out there? Do, do, do you think that it is as special as it once was these, these occasion beers? I, I, these, yeah. No, I, I don't think that seasonals are as special as they once were. I think that that, that specialness has worn off. And I think that people certainly who, who have to make seasonals um, and sell them, know what a what an absolute pain in the ass they are um and that nobody will buy them after a certain date they just i mean whether that be you know trying to sell a pumpkin beer in november or um, a christmas sale in january or um, a, a summer ale in september you know it just like at that point and it's not september really because uh, you know, when you're when you're talking about a three tier system, you you've got to get that summer ale on shelf by May. Yeah. Um, and nobody's going to reorder Memorial it after. Day, the, yeah. after yeah. yeah. Nobody's going to reorder it after the middle of June. Uh, so you've got a very tight window, and you've got to get the number right. And having excess of something like that is, you know, it's happened to everyone, and uh, it's no fun. With it losing its specialness, um, some of these some of these seasonals, and um, you know, certainly with the with with the loss of Christmas, um, what do you think? Beer in general, you know, beer as a community, beer as a, um, I don't know, a passion for 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 a lot of people. Um, what do you think it loses? when we lose beers uh, like this. Yeah. I, I think what you, what you lose is some of that, that mystical quality of, of this being larger than what it is. Right. This sense that um, this beer is going to make our, our Christmas dinner better. It's going to make that time around the fire feel much more special. Um, now you're going to have to drink, somebody's IPA that tastes like everybody else's IPA um, for that moment. And uh, there's a little bit of sadness there. Do you have of the years that you um, had your hand in Christmas or um, having tasted most of them, is there a year that sticks out in your mind as one that just felt a little bit more special than others. And maybe it was who you were drinking it with and where you were drinking it and all that, but was there with that long history and with your relationship with that beer going back as long as it did. Um, is there a year that you look at with particular fondness? Yeah, I think it's that 2016 because it was the first year that I kind of took full responsibility for it um, and, and made the biggest, the biggest change. And I look at the Christmas, the tasting notes from it. And I know I wrote them and I know I ran up and I, I, you know, I, I see this, uh, I actually have it up right now. And as I say, it's a deep mahogany brown with a creamy tan head and boasts of aromas of fruitcake, molasses, and fresh cut wood. I got my ass kicked for saying it tastes like fruitcake. Nobody wanted that. They're like, what are you talking about, man? You can't do that. And 
I, I said, you know, I'm going to make you a fruitcake so that you understand what real fruitcake is and, and how delicious it is um, when you do it right. And, uh, and so I did, I made a fruitcake that year. Um, and uh, I shared it with, with various, with, I forget who it was, maybe it was even Mark, but uh, somebody who, who told me, you know, people have been telling us fruitcake for years, we hate fruitcake. Uh, and so there was, a, there was an anti-fruitcake con, uh, contentious com, uh, conversation that I got myself in. And I went and made a damn fruitcake, like a, a, a two-month fruitcake process too, where you age the fruit in, in booze and, and uh and really, you know, base the damn thing. And, and uh, it's, it's a, an, a sensory explosion of, of beauty is what this fruitcake is. And that's what I'm talking about. But, but to say that um, yeah, along no, with it's... the beer, and then, and then we had, we did a, a beer and fruitcake pairing and it was, it was magical. Spiced chocolate, not Ooh. roasted caramel. Yeah, no, it was always a beer that I that 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 I looked forward to, and and I uh, I I feel like like so many others um, when that news broke, that that sense of loss, that sense of disappointment, um, you know, that came well before <laughs> well before the holidays. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I I, I learned um, in a text from my brother. My brother still works at the brewery. Um, and uh, he's a, he's a tour guide and a bartender there, um, and now doing events. But uh, his his text uh, saying they killed Christmas um, was was especially like disheartening. Um, and it is it is hard. Um, it's hard. Change is hard. And, yeah. Uh, and moving on. Um, one thing I have heard, though, is that there I, I know for certain it's already been said that there will be a Christmas sale this year at Public Taps. But I've also heard that there's a possibility of some of it getting canned. So, OK, well, don't 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 count it out. Not dead yet. yet. Yeah. Um, Scott, I've been asking folks on the show for quite a while now, uh, the green door question. And the, the, the premise is um there's a television show called the good place. And in the final season, they introduce a concept of a green door that the characters can walk through and be wherever they want, doing whatever they want with whoever they want to be with. And so if we had a green door on our plane of existence and you could walk through it when this conversation ended and you could be in any pub or any brewery anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? Who would you want to be with? And what would you like to be drinking? Any pub or brewery in the world. Always a difficult question to answer. I, the first thing I thought of is the Green Door is actually, the, there's a pub in Chicago called the Green Door. Right? Yeah, that's come, um, it's come up a couple of times. And, yeah. and, they serve, and they serve Anchor there. But no, that's not where I want to um, I have been there. Uh, but I'd, I'd have to say that... Um, my my best beer drinking experience um and and to go revisit my good friend uh roland bittel at the augustiner brewery in in munchen um is is still for me the the top beer drinking experience to go drink with the brewmaster in his in his 
particular beer stube, uh, the oldest brewery in Munich, um, Augustiner, and and to have uh, uh, Augustiner uh, Edelstoff, I believe, is is the the beer of choice. I love that. That's. Uh, I hope you get to do that again sometime. Yeah, he's retired now, so I can't. I'd have to drag him back. He's moved away, uh, but <laughs> I have to go find him up in northern Bavaria and drag him back down to the brewery. Scott, thanks for taking the trip down memory lane. Thanks for sharing your insights. Thanks for um, doing all you did for for a beer that that uh, so many of us uh, uh, cared about and loved for for so long. Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to talk about uh, something I love. If you have some of those Anchor R Special Ales, that Christmas beer, hang on and see how they taste around the holidays this year. And if you have anything else in your cellar that you're holding on to and waiting to see what happens, tell me about it. My email is John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. Or you can tell me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. That's also how you can get in touch with questions, comments, and guest suggestions. A reminder, please go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and can read great new content as well as the archives going back to 1979. Don't forget, you can also follow All About Beer on social media at All About Beer. And if you're into Rauk Beer, and of course you are, check out This Week in Rauk Beer. The Facebook group is easy to search and on Twitter and Instagram, we're at TW Rauk Beer. You can help support journalism in the beer space like what we're doing here by emailing us at info at allaboutbeer.com to find out about our advertising rates or to donate a couple of bucks by going to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. Don't forget, All About Beer has a podcast channel now. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. As for this show, Nate Weber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>